Welcome to another episode of the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational Podcast, the Beat the Shift Editions. This is your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Hey, Ruvain, have you uh, seen who is leading the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational overall? Have you seen lately who, who's winning? I actually have, and my name seems to be at the top right now. I don't know how long that's going to last for, but it's good to be at the top at some point in the season. Yeah, May 2nd, and Ruvain is leading the the entire overall, 315 participants. So congrats on that great start, and keep it up. Hopefully it'll be there at the end. And hopefully my team stays healthy. Yes, and we have a guest tonight from Ontario, Canada. From the Baseball HQ radio show, Patrick David. How are you, Patrick? I'm doing great. Uh, very congratulations to Ruvain for that excellent first month. I know it must be very exciting. I personally am leading the Tell Wars American League after one month, a 10-point lead in that very tough single league format. So I know what it's like to be on top, and mostly I just feel scared. Yes, everyone's coming to get you. That's what it That's feels right. like. That's right, including the fates. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we have a clash here of uh, two people in the lead in uh, in uh, their respective uh, leagues. But uh, actually, uh, you guys are both in the same division of the TGFBI. Um, and so uh, our strategy section tonight talks about team management one month into the season. So Ruvain right now is actually ahead of you, Patrick, by 50 points. Uh, he's just doing outstanding. Not that your team is... is doing badly in fact you're only about 10 points out of second place but the question i have to you patrick is what do you do differently in terms of team management after just one month um if you're on the top as you are in in a labor or if you're in the middle of the pack as you are in the tgfbi division well my general sense is uh, at one month into any season, it's just too early to make any big, bold decisions. Of course, I like to look at the standings and I like to be aware of where I am. Uh, I'm very concerned about weaknesses if I see them shaping up in, in the early part of the season. But uh, right now, about all I can do is stick needles in my Trey Mancini bobblehead so that uh, Ruvain uh, maybe loses a guy here or there to injury. But at the same time, when I look at the guys ahead of me, I try to I try to ascertain to my own satisfaction what is it that they're doing right, and is it likely to be sustainable? And, uh, of course, Ruvain's an excellent player, and he drafted an excellent team. But the thing that jumps out at me, Ruvain, and you can tell me what you think of this, Tim Anderson is hitting like 375 with a 435 BABIP. He, he still hasn't changed his skills. He strikes out a lot. He doesn't walk enough. He's been a very, very valuable player, probably one of the top two or three offensive players in all of baseball for fantasy purposes. But are you worried that when you look at Tim Anderson's performance to date that you think to yourself this is going to blow up at some point? A hundred percent. I think he's going to stabilize or normalize in this case. His hard hit rate contact is only 28.9. His K rate is down. His walks rate is down also. Um, and his home run to fly ball rate is at an unsustainable 22%. That's not going to that, – that, that's just ridiculous. He's playing way over his head. But still, even if he normalizes – I already accumulated his stats from the beginning of the season. They're not going anywhere, but I just have to make sure that I'm able to complement him with the rest of the team with the rest of the year for pickups. 
Yeah, that's yeah. how I look at it too. Uh, when I see Tim Anderson, whenever I get a hot start from a player like that, especially uh, with a hot start in batting average or OBP, whatever your league uses, and you think that's the area where this guy's really weak, we, we've we always been uh, suspicious, I think, that Tim Anderson could put together a 30 home run, 60 stolen base year because he's such an excellent athlete. But when I see the, the ratios, my first thought is, if he normalizes from starting tomorrow to the end of the season and hits 260 or whatever, what's he going to be like? What's his total score going to be in batting average or OBP for the whole year? And I think with this tremendous start after a month, even if he only hits 260, you're still going to have a really good Tim Anderson year. He's still better than most of the shortstops out there. So Tim Anderson actually last year after May 1st hit 234 for the rest of the year. He's a guy that usually starts out really strong. He had 267 in March and April last year and then just went, you know, not down the tubes, but uh, performed at a lower level. Now, I say this, though, for hitters, I think that, you know, it's okay. You keep rolling with the guy as, as long as you can. With pitchers, it might be a little bit trickier because pitchers, if they're overperforming now, it's great. But if they underperform, they can kill your ERA and whip. So I would caution myself with pitchers who are overperforming much more than hitters. Do you agree, Patrick? I do. And again, when I look at Ruvain's team, I see Chris Paddock really overperforming. His ERA is way under two. I think his whip the last time I checked was under 0.7. And I think to myself, well, that can't hold either. But again, Ruvain has locked in those numbers right. up till now. And whatever Chris Paddock does, again, if he just finishes up the year as a regular pitcher, Ruvain has the advantage of having locked in that tremendous performance through these first four or five starts. And that means that even if, uh, I mean, Chris Paddock has to really be bad to be bad for the whole entire year. And I can't, of course, I can hope for that, but I can't count on it. But my, right. only my concern with Chris Paddock is I think he's going to end up having an innings limit. And I think I think he's not going to pitch the entire season just because he hasn't pitched that many innings to begin with. <clears throat> so I, I will lose some of him down the stretch. But then this past week, I actually picked up Dallas Keuchel off the waiver wire. So maybe I can fill in him a little bit when he does start to and you know start to lose some innings because San Diego is thinking about going to a six-man rotation. So I am going to lose some stats from him, but you know I got to roll with what I got. Right. So. It definitely, I think, is too early to look at the overall standings um, and, and really notice if you're really, really down based on the overall. But question to you, Patrick, is for the individual categories, is it too early to look at it? And uh, if it's not too early, if you're really looking at it, how would you now set your lineups differently or how would you look for waiver wire pickups uh, based on how you are in the individual category standings? Well, to use the uh, Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational as my example, I'm doing well in stolen bases the last time I checked, and I don't check every day. Uh, I try not to do that because you can drive yourself crazy. It's like playing the stock market, and if you if you note every time a stock goes up 15 cents or down a quarter, you drive yourself out of your mind. So I try to look two or three times a week at my three leagues on, an, on a staggered basis. And the last time I checked, I was doing real well in stolen bases, and that makes me think that perhaps I can bench or even waive some of my uh, poorer hitting stolen base guys, although I really don't have many players who fit that particular profile, in the search for home runs. But even though it's a 15-team mix, which means there's a fairly substantial free agent pool, there's really not going to be a lot of tremendous home run or RBI help in the pool. It's, of course, far better than it's going to be in my tout league where I've only got American League hitters to choose from, and it's pretty picked over by this time. But then 
at the same time, you guys, I, I don't know if you do it the same, but I look at where the categories are, and then I look at where I am relative to everybody, not just where I am in, in isolation. So the last time I checked, I was maybe 10, 10 RBIs out of picking up three or four points. I was about 13 runs out of picking up five points. I was about 10 strikeouts from picking up three points. I can see a, a pathway here to where if I get a little bit of a, a little bit of extra performance from some underperforming guys and everybody else kind of stays on the same path they are, I can easily see myself picking up 20 points by sitting on my hands. Right. So, Ruvain, asking you, um, do you look at what other players are doing or do you look at where you are in the wins and strikeouts and saves categories to at this point in the season to change the mix of the number of starters versus closers that you play? Well, right at this point, I'm just trying to normalize and keep regular my ERA and WHIP. I'm not. I, the wins are completely variable. You get them whenever you can. This past week, I happened to get five wins in two days, which is just ridiculous. So that's completely variable. Saves. I'm always looking at the waiver wire to look for someone to pick up with saves. I just want. It's, so many statistics are still so bunched up that you can't really get a good feel until I'd say another month or so when you'll see when everything when the players start to play at their averages again. But uh, and to tell you the truth, I'm not looking to strikeouts that much. I'm just going to throw my pitchers out there and hope for the best. Same with wins and saves. I'm always looking on the waiver wire for a future saves guy. Pat- Patrick, what about you? Yeah, I had the really bad misfortune of having my my primary closer, uh, David Robertson, go down with injury. And uh, the injury looks serious enough that I really have serious doubts whether even if he comes back where he's going to be a significant closer. And I kind of knew that coming out of the draft. I, I asked, also had Drew Steckenrider as a guy I picked up right at the end of the draft, maybe even on reserve, I don't remember, as a speculative play doing exactly what Ruvain's talking about, which is looking down the road to see if maybe there's going to be some possibilities there. And I'm doing that actively now. I've picked up a couple of guys in that regard. And uh, Ian Kennedy, I think I got from Kansas City in the hopes of picking up a save. And indeed, this week, I did pick one up from him. And I think that particular category is going to be a scramble all year. But at a certain point, I have to look at, you know, I can't afford to run out four maybe closers who are going to get me two saves a week at the expense of, you know, three starters who could pick me up 25 right. or 30 strikeouts a week because I'm whatever I give up on one hand, I'm losing with the other. But I still right. like playing I still like playing one of those guys like an Archie Bradley in there just to keep, you know, just to keep your ear in with normal. Because if otherwise, if you just keep throwing out these let's say two-star pitchers, and I think it's too early for two-star pitchers yet, but if you throw out these two-star pitchers, they can still blow up your ERA, they can still blow up your whip, and this early in the season, I don't think you can afford that. That's exactly true, and I'm trying to avoid that as well. I'm being you know, pretty judicious with my use of streaming. I've got a couple of guys that I think of as my aces. I'm going to ride with them as much as I can, and I don't think I'm inventing anything new here, but you know, you take your top two pitchers and you just say, barring some kind of really obvious reason not to, they're going to start all the time and I'll roll the other guys in and I have enough uh, relief pitchers, middle relievers, good uh, ERA and whip guys to make sure that I don't lose touch with the field in those ratio categories early in the season. So Patrick, very generally, you know, when you see interesting players in the waiver wire, sometimes you got to jump right now. What kind of players are you dropping? Are you dropping injured players? Are you dropping underperforming players? Like, what do you do when you when you see a player that you want to pick up? How do you decide who you're going to drop? 
Well, so far I haven't actually picked up that many guys because I've been pretty pleased with the way my team has played. So I haven't felt a real uh, a situation where I'm trying to move them in and out of my lineup wholesale. It's it's a guy here and a guy there. But uh, just to give you an example, I did drop Drew Steckenrider uh, Stecken from Miami. I thought right. he might be a closer. That didn't pan out. I had Sean Armstrong from the start of the year. I think I picked him up on reserve because I thought, hey, you know, same story. Maybe this guy gets some saves in Seattle. That didn't work out, so I dropped him. And I had Tyler Anderson really late in the draft, a starting pitcher in Colorado, that I, I kind of had a hunch combined with some positive feedback from some uh, websites that I trust and uh, that I thought, well, Tyler Anderson could be, you know, a sneaky sleeper type guy. And uh, he was anything but. He was just terrible. And uh, so I didn't feel any real compunctions about uh, dropping him. And then uh, I had somebody else uh, get injured for the year. and uh, But I had picked up Adam Jones in the first round of the reserve. And I just promoted him. And I'm kind of just uh, staying with what I had at the start of the year for right now. Because most of the players I have are as good or better than anything I'm going to pick up in the free agent pool. With the exception of guys who might get saves. Right. Okay, so I uh, want to give everyone an update here on our uh, Severino saga. If uh, Our listeners probably know that uh, Ruben and I were in a high-money league, and we passed on Luis Severino, and we passed on him all the way till round 17, and somebody took him in round 17. Actually, in, in our league, uh, Severino was dropped uh, two weeks ago, and last week nobody actually picked him up. So Ruben and I made the right – the right choice originally and not selecting him as we can see um interestingly would you would you pick up severino now if he was on the waiver wire uh, i actually ran a twitter poll this week and uh two-thirds of the people said that they would pick him up if severino is available i also asked them if you own severino are you going to drop him it was about 50 50 on no i wouldn't drop him or I'd only drop him if I have injury issues. Um, so, Patrick, what do you feel about guys like Severino? And you mentioned David Robertson. What do you feel about picking up, stashing, and dropping those kinds of injury injury players where we're unsure if they're going to come back, but if they do come back, they might be valuable? Well, every week I write a, a column for BaseballHQ.com called Master Notes, and then I also deliver it on the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. And last week what I talked about is the whole idea of opportunity cost. And I know you guys are familiar with the idea in the real world where opportunity cost has to do with what you're giving up in order to gain more somewhere else. And to me, all of these kind of decisions really have a huge element of opportunity cost built into them. So if I were looking at Luis Severino, and uh, he, was, he has not yet been dropped in uh, any of my other leagues uh, that, uh, that I play in, but if he were, I don't know, I would probably take a long look at him, but in the end, it would come down to who do I have to drop in order to make room on my roster for Luis Severino, and that's a critical question, especially at this time where... While I'm waiting, I'm going to be losing some stats from the guy I drop. We, that's, a, that's a given. And I could be losing those stats for an entire year and getting nothing in the, in the place. So, um, of course, a lot depends on how your league is set up, what your reserve list rules are. Can you stash a guy, for instance, in American League tout? If you take, you can take almost anybody who's got an American League affiliation onto your roster, but you have to play him in the slot for a week active. So now that means if I were to do it in the American League league that I play in, in tout, now I'm losing another week of stats for sure before I can even reserve him. And and the, there's all of those kind of considerations. Yeah. Absent context 
guys, it's really hard to say whether you would do really any kind of move because you need to know, well, what are my options as far as getting rid of a guy? Am I going to drop Clayton Kershaw for him? Obviously not. Um, did I drop Clayton Kershaw when Kershaw was hurt at the start of the year? I did not. I was I was actually thinking about it, but you know, I look at the at the pool and I think at best I'm going to get somebody who's 50% of Clayton Kershaw and I think he's got a 60% chance of playing. I'll keep him because I think the odds were on my side. Right. So so it's it's really opportunity cost. It's really who you have on your bet. If you have no injuries on your team, you, then you know you might have a spot you can grab him. And if if uh, you're injury riddled, then you're not going to take him. That kind of thing. I actually okay. think, I, I actually think it also comes down to if you drop him, will somebody pick him up next week? Now, if you said in, from your poll, I think you said 50% of people said they would keep him, 50% they'd drop him, and then 60% said they'd pick him up. So if you drop him, would you be okay with someone else picking him up and stealing those stats from you? Right. It's also opportunity cost of do you think you can get him back or do you think that the it's going to benefit some other team and is that going to really help him? So uh, definitely have to weigh, weigh in all those things. One last question about strategy, and this is more of a thought question, but it has fantasy baseball applications. Patrick, um, who are the players who have gained or lost value due to our new baseball environment in 2019? And what I mean by that is – 2019 features openers, the ball is juiced, uh, supposedly, um, there's higher, there's fewer high-impact stolen base players, there's a lot of the Andrew Miller high-leverage middle relief types. What, what kinds of or types of players you think has gained the most fantasy baseball value and which has lost the most value in, in this kind of environment? I have this discussion with a lot of my guests on Baseball HQ Radio, the podcast, and uh, the general consensus, with which I agree, by the way, is that the the guys who are gaining are the sort of second tier and second and a half tier, if I can say, uh, power hitters like your Justin Smokes and Logan Morrison's a couple of years ago. Remember, they were kind of high teens, low 20 home runs hitters. All of a sudden, the balls have got a little more pop in it. And the next thing you know, these guys are hitting 30, 31, 33 home runs. And that makes sense to me for this reason. The the added distance on the ball is going to be about 10 feet. That's what they tell us, 10 to 12 feet in 2017 again this time with that trough in between during last season. And to me, what that means is if you're Giancarlo Stanton and you're hitting the ball out 440 feet, an extra 10 feet doesn't give you any more home runs. It just gives you slightly longer home runs of the ones you were going to get anyway. The guys who benefit are the guys who get it just a little bit onto the warning track and it dies. And all of a sudden now they get 10 extra feet and that's a big marginal gain for them. Instead of 325, it's 335, and it just sneaks over into the first row of the seats. So those are the kind of guys I think are the big pluses. And if you believe that, then I think there might be an offsetting decline in the values of guys like Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge if you believe that you're going to get a lot more home runs on a percentage basis from a Justin Smoke than you're going to get on a percentage basis from Stanton, all of a sudden Smoke's relative value rises compared with Stanton's. And I think the big, big power hitters would, if we'd have known ahead of the season that this was going to happen, that because there would be so many more home runs available, that the players for whom home runs were their primary commodity on offer would be would lose some value because there's more of the commodity. Again, basic economics. Right. And I agree with that. And I'll add two things to that. Number one, if you want a very quick way of taking a look, see who are fly ball hitters. If you hit more fly balls into the air, 
you probably are going to get more home runs. You know, see whose average uh, batted ball dif- distance is largest, or at least uh, uh, largest, but not a home run. You know, just hit warning track power. Yes, th- those will gain. And I'll also say on the flip side for pitchers, right, fly ball pitchers might actually lose some value as compared to ground ball pitchers because now there's going to be a couple of more home runs going out for the fly ball pitchers. Now, everyone's going to get it worse, but the fly ball pitchers will be more hurt, so their relative value will also decline rest, uh, compared to the rest of the pool. Anything now, you want to add, Ruben? Yeah, one example that, of what you just mentioned is, is Paul DeJong. His fly ball rate is up. He already has five home runs this year. He's on pace to hit 25 to 30 home runs. That was his hard hit contact is close to 50%. You put those two things together, he benefits humongously from that. And the second point about the pitchers, I think the ones that benefit them the least, actually that hurt them, I mean, that hurt them the most, are the pitchers that are the starters, like a Ryan Stanek. Nobody's going to touch him. What is his value to anybody? It's nothing. He's going to pitch one inning. He's not going to get you in. He's not going to get you a save. He may hurt your ERA. But then the uh, pitcher like Yanni Chirinos, who's just he comes in, in the second or third inning, and sometimes he starts. He's he's appeared in six games. He's only started three of them. He's got four wins. He's on pace for more than 20 wins this year, which is just crazy to think about that. Yeah, uh, I call them the opener follower pitchers. So Chirinos comes in, and now he doesn't need five innings. He doesn't have to pitch five innings to get the win. He comes in, they take the lead, pitches three innings, and, and he, he can get a win. And not only that, he's also facing crappier players in the lineup. He's not coming in to face the one, two, three. He's coming in to face the five, six, seven. And so maybe he'll get uh, more players uh, on the end of the lineup instead of the beginning of the lineup. Chernos, by the way, is currently the 25th best pitcher, starter or reliever on ESPN's Player Raider. Uh, that, that's, that's basically the equivalent of a number two starting pitcher. Um, and he basically went for a dollar or, or reserve round in auctions and drafts this year. So great, great example. All right. Uh, uh, there, uh, guys, uh, just a couple of other points. Uh, I mentioned the sure. the, the sort of 325-foot uh, warning track power. I think the guys we're looking at at the home run leaderboard this year, you got Yandy Diaz, Altuve's back in uh, in home run territory. Eddie Rosario, look at Eddie Rosario's a, been a 25-23 home run type guy. He's on a pace for 60 this year, and I'm not saying I think he's going to hit 60, but I bet he's going to hit 35, and that's going to be the kind of guy that we, if, you're, if your league mates aren't cottoning on to the uh, the fact of the juice ball yet this is a time to start making trades for these guys who are traditionally 25 home run guys who i think could be 35 and uh, ariel you made a point about the uh, the fly ball pitchers and the dangers they present uh, i went through and looked at uh, guys with really high fly ball percentages ronaldo lopez trevor richards uh, jake odorizzi chris archer carlos carrasco and unfortunately for me jose barrios who's actually been really good for me so far this year interesting and I, I actually think Odorizzi could be a really ticking time bomb. His home run per fly is barely 5% right now, which is half the normal rate even without a juice, a juice ball. But here's a, a question I think that if you're looking at your pitchers and trying to decide how to deal with them in the, in the juice ball era, don't automatically think that a fly ball pitcher is a guy that you have to think about dropping because there's a, there's a division of kinds of fly ball that you have to be aware of, and that is – how many of the fly balls that this guy is giving up are infield flies or softly hit pop-ups? And just for an example, uh, Berrios gets almost 20% 
of his fly balls are infield flies. 20%. That means he's got the equivalent fly ball percentage that's one-fifth lower than it actually looks like, and that puts him on a par with some pretty good ground ball pitchers and makes him a much more um, savable or retainable commodity than, say, a guy like Odorizzi who gets 1% or 2% of his fly balls or infield flies. It's a huge difference, and it's one that I don't think everybody really appreciates fully and it's a chance to get an edge on the other guys in your league if they're not paying attention to this question of infield flies versus outfield flies that's a a great point um and i'm I'm glad you mentioned that um and of course eddie rosario you mentioned um of course that's one of my favorite players in fact uh, when i came on your show earlier this year he was one of my uh boons for uh for uh this coming uh 2019 season eddie rosario I remember that, and uh, I I tried in every league I was in to get him, and I waited too yeah. long in the FBI, yeah. and I and I wait and I just ran out of money before he came up in the uh, in the AL tote. But yeah, I, I I thought Eddie Rosario was going to be a real a real sleeper this year, and by sleeper I mean you could spend fifteen or eighteen dollars and get you know a twelve or fourteen dollar profit. Yeah, I stole him from you in FBI. Yes, uh, uh, Ruvain, <laughs> Ruvain currently owns Rosario. In that <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, he was your thief there. All right. Anyways, uh, let's get into our waiver wire this week. And th- this week we want to do something a little bit different and put the fo- focus more on prospects and rookies. We have a question from Alex uh, who says, my league only allows you to fab players on the 40-man roster. Are there any prospects not in the majors but – on the 40-man roster that you are stashing. So, Patrick, uh, who are some minor league players that you might take a look at to stash on your waiver wire this week? I don't know if he's exactly a prospect, but uh, he's kind of a a little bit under the radar, or has been, and that's Brandon Brennan, a a relief pitcher in Seattle. Our bullpen's columnist, uh, Doug Dennis, at BaseballHQ.com, reported that Brennan has started the year with nine clean appearances in 12 games, He's got great skills, a 30% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. And now we see news that uh, co-closer Rowena Elias is experiencing some soreness, according to local media. And I haven't seen that on the national media. So if there's a chance in your league that that story hasn't made the rounds, again, I don't know if Brendan Brennan qualifies as a prospect per se, but he's definitely on the 40-man. He's on the 25-man, and he's, he's not widely owned. That is just the kind of player that we want. To, we're interested in, not widely owned. And yeah, I mean, uh, he, he counts. He counts. Um, I, I, I'll give you a couple of players that I was looking at. Uh, Oscar Mercado um, in AAA this year. He has 10 stolen bases. He's hitting 302. Um, I'm always looking for speed. Speed is something that is very hard to come by, especially in a deep league. Oscar Mercado might come up in the second half. Um, and might be a nice play. Uh, two other guys, Kevin Biggio, uh, another 1990 MLB player's son. Uh, he leads the International League in OBP at 495. His triple slash, 361, 495, 625 with five homers and three stolen bases. Who is blocking Biggio? Uh, Eric Sogard at Brandon Drury at second base. I don't know. Is there anybody in the outfield that's really uh, taking up so much playing time? Uh, I think you can see Biggio later in the second half, and he could make an impact. And how about this guy, Jordan Alvarez? He plays in the PCL, so numbers could be a little bit inflated, but he has 12 homers. He's batting 386. His slugging is 916. This is a guy who is hot as heck. I have to believe he's going to be called up 
really, really soon. He's going to be called up before Kyle Tucker, actually, the way he's performing. Um, Jordan Alvarez, I would grab him right away just in case he continues this kind of hitting. All right. Anybody, uh, any other names to mention? Uh, well, you know what? Uh, first, Ruvain steals Eddie Rosario from me in the in the, my draft uh, in FBI, <laughs> and then you steal Oscar Mercado from me here today. I'm starting to get a... Uh, <laughs> suspicion that i need to stay away from you guys uh, i actually i actually last week i made a preemptive bid on oscar mercado in my tout league because we are allowed to do that and i thought i'll carry him for the dead week and one of the reasons we talked about opportunity cost one of the reasons is in tout we're a, we have a, a swingman position that you can either make a 14th hitter or a 10th pitcher. And what I've been doing, because my offense is actually pretty strong, is I've been carrying 10 pitchers so that I can use my relief pitchers and not worry quite as much about losing strikeouts. And for a week, uh, I, put, uh, I put one of those relief pitchers on reserve. I put Oscar Mercado in as my swingman. I take the zero for the week, and then next week I'll re- rebalance everything, get Oscar Mercado on reserve because – uh, I liked everything I saw with Oscar Mercado, too, especially the yeah. on-base percentage and the speed skills. And when I look at Cleveland's outfield, I mean, Tyler Naquin, right. if Oscar Mercado can't beat out Tyler Naquin for a job, then there's then there's no reason he should be playing Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball, for that matter. He doesn't strike out. He walks a ton, which is going to be helpful for his speed. I really see a pathway to playing time. The only danger being, I believe, is that Cleveland may realize, especially with Kluber now out, uh, that they whatever small chance they had of making the playoffs, I think, is dwindling by the day, and they may just look at Oscar Mercado and say, "Why should we start his service clock now? We'll wait wait till next May and save ourselves a year of paying him uh, whatever money he's going to earn." Right. Yeah. That it, 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 you never know with the with, with the timing of when, but you, know, you got to take the gamble on great players. I want to mention two other people though who are not ro- rookies or prospects by any means, but they're doing well in the minors. Um, Adam Duval. I don't know if everybody has somehow forgotten about Adam Duval. Nobody took him in any draft this year. Um, he used to hit 30, not 25, he used to hit 30 homers a year. At AAA this year, he has nine homers. His slugging is 701. He's batting 309. Um, if there is an injury in Atlanta, who is in it, unlike Cle- Cleveland may not be, um, if there's an injury in Atlanta, if Nick Markakis goes down, he's the first guy up. He's going to be put into the everyday starting lineup because he looks like his his old prime. Adam Duval is a guy to just keep in the back of your mind. And I'll also mention Rajai Davis, who's now on the Mets. He has nine stolen bases at Syracuse. Uh, he's batting 292, very respectable. Anything happens in the Mets outfield, an injury to Ligaris, an injury to Nimmo, he's the first guy called up. And if he gets up here, he'll definitely bat against left-handers as he mashes them. And he's just going to steal and steal. So Duval and Davis, keep them in the back of your mind for homers and steals. I, I, I also gotta, I I also want to mention ahead. one other player, Luis Urias. He was he started the season with San Diego. He batted 083 to start the season, but since he got to AAA, he's batting 356 with seven home runs. So that's something. Also, if Ian Kinsler gets hurt, which you know he's getting up there in age, he's he'll be called up right away and he'll he'll fit right into the second base there. Patrick, and Ian well, Kinsler's not not playing that well either, so it's not like San Diego. Again, they, there are playing time, service time issues, but Ian Kinsler's not lighting the world on fire just generally. And at some point, San Diego is going to say, uh, as they did with Fernando Tatis Jr., or maybe Manny Machado and and Eric Hosmer will go to the managers and say, you know, Ian Kinsler, nice guy and everything, but we're not. He's not our future. Let's see what we got with our future. And if if so, I think Luis Urias could be uh, one of those type of guys. I wanted to mention a pitcher playing in the White Sox organization, Dylan Cease, 
who uh, was kind of a bit of a disappointment in, in his early going as a prospect, but he struck out 11 players the other night in AAA Charlotte. He's got five starts under his belt this year, 333 ERA, 115 and 30 strikeouts in 24 innings, which is a pretty good strikeout rate, and almost two ground ball outs for every fly ball out. And we were talking earlier, you want those ground ball pitchers, and if you're if you're the White Sox and you've got your team playing half its games in the U.S. cellular field where the fly balls f- were pretty good at flying out even before the juice ball, that might be a pathway for Dylan Cease. And I fabbed Cole Tucker in the Fantasy Baseball Invitational recently, uh, shortstop call-up in Pittsburgh, uh, Eric Gonzalez is on the 60-day injured list with a broken clavicle. I saw uh, Cole Tucker at First Pitch Arizona last November. Heard a lot of guys talking about him. He had some really good on-field results, and he had a terrific reputation in that league. He's the kind of guy managers like. He hustles. He works hard in practice. He studies hard when uh, when he's looking at who's going to be uh, coming at him with the as pitchers. This is a guy, he's off to a bit of a slow start, but he's uh, he's a good speed guy. And if you're thinking about uh, trying to figure out where your next uh, stolen bases are coming from, Cole Tucker is playing in Pittsburgh. He's going to be playing for the next two months. And if he does well, he may be playing for the rest because Eric Gonzalez is no impediment. Now to follow up on Dylan, on Dylan Cease, Carlos Rondon went down with an injury. He's on the IL now with an elbow injury, and the general manager seems very concerned about it. So there may be a spot open for him already. There you go. Dylan Cease. Um, on to our pitcher preview, uh, where we highlight potential two-star pitchers. I know that we're not high on streaming those at this point in time, but you never know. Or key one-star matchups. Sometimes you want to play a pitcher who's just facing a terrible team or is in a good ballpark. Um, Patrick, do you have any uh, pitchers to uh, highlight for our pitcher preview this week? I have Charlie Morton in the Fantasy Baseball Invitational, and I'm excited about his uh, next few starts, actually. But uh, when we look at next week, he's gonna, uh, he has a start against Kansas City uh, opposing Danny Duffy. Uh, Baseball HQ has a pitcher matchups rating. It's called a wins rating, and anything over zero is considered a pretty good bet, and the higher you go, the better he is. He's up around 177 for his rating for that start against Kansas City in Tampa. And I'm sorry, in Kansas City. And so uh, I really like that. And then later in the week, he's on the road in Yankee Stadium. Uh, the Yankees, of course, are not the Yankees of old. Their lineup is somewhat depleted. I know there's the worry about the uh, short fence in right uh, and uh, Morton being a right-hander himself. Uh, so he's a bit vulnerable to left-handers. But if, you ha- if you're looking for a two-start guy, uh, Charlie Morton, you could do- I think you could do worse. Uh, Charlie Morton's not having a tremendous year so far, but he's not terrible. And these look like two pretty good matchups. All right, Ruvain? A little bit deeper, I like Drew Pomeranz. He has two starts against the Reds, both home and away. Now, you can say, okay, he's playing the same team twice, you know, they'll probably get the same result. That's not the case. Just look what happened to Steven Matz this past week when he played when he played Philadelphia twice. He gave up eight runs, didn't get out of the first inning, and then in the game I actually went to, he pitched six seven, six innings, shut out ball, one, one run ball. So I don't think playing the same team twice is going to be an issue. Um, he's got 15 strikeouts in the last 14 innings, So and he plays for the Red Sox, and the Red Sox are starting to play a little bit more like the Red Sox, so you never know. You can get two wins out of him. All right. Uh, I'll add in uh, Aaron Sanchez. Sanchez is playing against uh, Minnesota and against the White Sox at home. Um, he's looking like he could return to form in the last three starts. He's 2-0 with a 3 ERA and 11 strikeouts. Um, and I'll also throw in CeCe Sabathia. If, if you haven't added him, he's always a good play. Uh, he Even though he won't go that many innings, He'll get some wins. He'll get some strikeouts. He now has 3,000 total strikeouts, which is amazing. Uh, CeCe Sabathia against Seattle 
and against Tampa Bay. I'll just uh, pop in with uh, the other guys who are above two in the uh, Baseball HQ pitcher ratings for next week. Uh, We have, uh, well, mostly uh, this week, actually. But uh, Chris Sale looks like he's going to be a a pretty good bet next week uh, with a 3.02 winner matchup rating, which is very high against Baltimore. Uh, Dan Straley providing uh, the opposition. Boston seems to be rounding into form. Sale has still not been Chris Sale this year, and I guess a lot is going to depend on how you feel, whether Chris Sale is turning a corner or are you just going to say you don't have to be the world's best pitcher to do well against Baltimore. Uh, Yep, that might be a critical week for him then. Um, All right, so on to our mailbag. We have just a couple of questions today from John, and this is a keeper question. As a first-place team, should I be trading in a keeper league Vladimir Guerrero for Lindor plus either Nick Senzel or Forrest Whitley? Um, All of the keepers are at reasonable cost for a keeper league. And the follow-up questions that he asked is, hey, how good will will Vlad really be? And if you had a choice of Senzel or Whitley, who would you grab in the keeper league? So, uh, uh, Patrick, would you trade Vlad for Lindor and either Senzel or Whitley and go for it this year? I would, as a matter of fact, although I'm not sure how much help Lindor is going to be. But even in a keeper league where I was – building for the future i think anytime you can get two quality players for one you really have to consider it very very uh, severely and uh vladimir guerrero for all of his uh vaunted skills he's got some issues that everybody needs to be aware of and the first of these is his weight and i don't know if that's going to be a problem for him throughout his career his father was a much taller more angular sort of build a rangy type of build but I saw Vladimir Guerrero in at first pitch Arizona, and he looked big. He was the size of a car. And when he came, uh, when he was in <laughs> Buffalo this year, uh, because when the Jays left him in in Buffalo, he was even bigger. I don't know whether he was going up to the anchor bar and hitting the wings bar, but uh, he was really, really stout. And eventually, if he stays that big. You know, I'm not saying that he won't be able to hit. We all remember Cecil Fielder could hit. You know, there's been lots of big guys who could hit, uh, but knee injuries there are there are injuries to the joints that are, that accompany very, being very heavy in an athletic environment and god knows when the uh, Toronto Blue Jays are going to install grass in their field they've been promising it for years but it's still artificial turf out there and that's hard on the joints as well so yeah, on the flip side, you got Lindor. Cleveland's definitely on a downhill path. I don't know, but I like Senzel. I like Whitley more. If I could get uh, Lindor plus Whitley, I'd ask for all three of them, frankly. But if I could get Lindor or Whitley for Vlad, I'd very much consider it. Ruvain, what about you? I, I would not consider it. If you're in first place in your league already, hold on to him. What's what's the harm in holding on to him? You get his stats and everything like that. Your skill could win this year with him in your lineup. You don't necessarily need to trade him away. Now, if you end up keeping a guy like Forrest Whitley, yes, if you can get Forrest Whitley, I'm not as high in Senzel. I'm more high in Whitley but because the Astros will have always have a competitive team in there, and he's, he's going to be brought up sometime this year. He will pitch. He will get his wins. So if you can get Whitley in the deal, that's fine. But if you're in first place, I wouldn't do the trade yet. I'd, I'd hold off. I'd wait a little bit. Maybe you can get more. Yeah, I, I I I like trading in keeper leagues and go for it from first place, but I don't think this is a slam dunk 
this, at, at this stage in the season. We don't know how Vlad is going to be. We don't know how Lindor is going to be on the Cleveland Indians. Um, and we don't know when Whitley is going to come up and how valuable a pitcher is going to be in his first year. Um, I, it, to me, I do keeper trades a little bit later in the year when it's a slam dunk. So I would say no to the trade because I think it's too early for it. Um, I would pick... Uh, if you're going for it, though, I would pick Senzel over Whitley. But, uh, you know, again, it really depends on whether the player is rolling or not. Um, I would wait till later to see who is actually going to help me this year if I'm going for it. There's an element of risk here, though, if you do that. And that is, what if Guerrero is just not good or not as good? Or, you know, the right sure, now he's a sure. hot commodity and everybody says, oh, Vladimir Guerrero, he's going to hit 100 home runs and bat 900. And after a while, you start seeing him and, you know, it's baseball's hard. And one thing you can say about Lindor, if you're a first-place team and it's going to be a tight race that you look ahead to, if I'm looking at Vladimir Guerrero and I'm looking at Francisco Lindor, the one thing that jumps out at me is Lindor's done this before. This is not his first 100 at-bats in the big leagues. This is his sixth season in the big leagues. He's an accomplished, very high-level player. To me, as a risk management exercise, I think Lindor is a much better play than Vladimir Guerrero for a guy who's trying to protect a first-place team. And then if he gets Whitley on top of it, not only does he have a decent keeper for next year, but as Ruvain said, he's probably going to get some pretty decent pitching stats in the second half of this year, which might be just in time to replace some somebody on his rotation who's got hurt or has struggled or whatever the case might be. I, as I said before, I like two commodities for one any time as long as they're uh, the relative values are pretty similar. And I don't think anybody among the three of us or anybody else can say, Vladimir Guerrero is going to be better than Francisco Lindor, especially in the short run just this season. Well, the question yeah, is also, yeah. a question is also are, you getting, are you getting Lindor for his power? Or are you getting Lindor for his speed? If you're getting Lindor for his speed, then for this year, I would probably say no. You know, because he, he's going to hit for his power, but his injury may hold back some of his speed. And if that's what you're looking for in the trade, then that's not the guy you're going after. Ruvain, I'll bet you any amount of money you want that at the end of the year, Francisco Lindor has more stolen bases than Vladimir Guerrero. Oh, yeah, that for sure. It's true. It's nothing but a gain in stolen bases. Uh, Guerrero's not going to steal any bases. I, I'll say that now unless he gets one on a busted hit and run or something like that, which Toronto doesn't do that often, frankly. And, and uh, you know, he may not have – Lindor might not have quite as many home runs as Vlad does, although I wouldn't bet against it. But he is definitely going to have 10, 12, 14 stolen bases, and that's 10, 12, or 14 more than Vladimir Guerrero can possibly contribute. I don't see how this is anything but a win-win for the Lindor receiver. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, 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 might, uh, I might say that uh, Patrick, you being in Canada, might have a little bit more insight into uh, Vlad than us here in New York. So uh, you, you bring up really excellent points, and I, I'm glad we had this discussion. And uh, this way the listeners can decide what, what they uh, – you know, what they want to take from this discussion and uh, what they would do. All right. uh, Next question comes from Eric. Is it time to worry about Jose Ramirez? Should you sell him for Altuve or Mancada? Ruvain, why don't we start with you? Um, I would be a little bit worried about Jose Ramirez because of the fact that the end of last year, he was on the, he was on the downtrend already and he got, he got injured early in the year. He, he hasn't really picked it up yet. Altuve looks like Altuve. He's with a little bit more power, like Patrick mentioned before. Um, so I, I'd be a little bit nervous about Jose Ramirez at this point. Would you sell him for Altuve or Moncada, Ruve? 
Um, not Moncada, but I'll, I'll frame me as a combination. Yes, I, for combo, yes, I, I do that 100%. One or the other. One or the other, I mean. One or the other, I'd go with um, just Altuve. Not, not Moncada, though. All right, Patrick, what do you think? I actually have Jose Ramirez in two out of my three leagues. I kind of built my strategy around him in tout and uh, in a HQ writer's league that I play in as well. And, of course, he's been disappointing this year, although he's got nine stolen bases, which is second in the league to Tim Anderson, of all people. And at the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Jose Ramirez is going to finish with uh, 35, maybe maybe 38 uh, stolen bases. So the question becomes... Is he ever going to recover his hitting stroke? And I, too, am worried about the fact that he he finished last year. I think he hit 206 or something in September, you guys. I don't remember exactly, but it was very poor. It was a very low batting average. And in any given month, I don't worry about a given month. It's an artificial time construct. You, you move the starting date and the finishing date by a week either way, and all of a sudden he's hit, you know, 290. And I don't worry about that kind of stuff. But when he follows a 206 end of last year with a very poor uh, under 200 first month of this year or close to under 200, yeah, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned. But I think his skills are just as good or better across the board than they were last year. He's striking out less. He's walking more. He's got more hard hit balls. He's He's been hitting in absolutely terrible luck. And I don't know whether the defenses are just really exactly positioning themselves correctly or what this what the story is but jose ramirez i think has the skills of a top three mvp guy he's just not getting the results yet and i certainly wouldn't trade him for for uh yoan moncada if i got an offer of jose altuve i might have to look at it because then you're looking at you know the same kind of home run batting average stolen base combination and maybe a little more solidly proved although he had a fairly serious knee injury a couple of years ago, so who knows? I, I agree 100% with you, Patrick, on this one. Um, uh, everything that you said is true about Jose Ramirez. Uh, I was actually on another podcast earlier this week, and they asked me if I would trade Jose Ramirez for Tim Anderson, and I, I said no, Tim Anderson's pretty lucky, and Jose Ramirez unlucky. Um, I would say, though, if I was drafting today, I would not pick Jose Ramirez as a top-five player. I think he's probably a little bit too risky to put in my top, and I might not even dra- draft him in the in the first round at all. Uh, but he's still a, a top twenty player in my opinion to be drafted. Uh, you you can't dismiss two years worth of excellence for for a month plus a, a down last half of the season. And for all of his shortcomings so far this year, I just looked him up. He's hitting 183 as we speak. His on-base percentage is 280, but he's still a $20 player in 5x5 five by, five by Baseball HQ valuations because of those stolen bases. And right, stolen right. bases are taking on increased value, as we discussed earlier, because there's so much fewer of them. But his contact rate is 84%, so he's got a 16% strikeout rate roughly. Uh, his 10% walk rate is right in line or a little higher than it has been in past years. He's hitting the ball 28% more often with hard contact than the league. Like I said, he's doing everything exactly as we were expecting. He's just not getting the results. And I'm a firm believer in the adage that Baseball HQ has had for a long time, which is focus on the skills, not the results. And I'm going to... If, if I was in a league and Jose Ramirez was on the trading block because a frustrated owner who might take 92 cents on the dollar, I'd be first man in line, I'll tell you what. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, we have uh, another uh, question here. Um, this is uh, we're putting it together from the fantasy doc and from Stephen asking about two players. I'm going to ask Patrick this one first before our injury expert Ruben 
gets to chime in. Two players, uh, Blake Snell and Trey Mancini, both injured. Both came back pretty quickly, but did they come back too quickly? Patrick, what do you think? Well, I'm not a doctor, although I play one on uh, podcasts. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) the short answer is I don't know. But here's I think this gives us an opportunity to make an important point that people need to consider when they're figuring out questions like this. And that is, how good is the organization at dealing with these kinds of situations? How good is the organization at dealing with roster management in general? And here we look at two organizations. You've got Trey Mancini's in Baltimore and you got Blake Snell, who's in Tampa. Now, if I just said, quick, both you guys, name the better organization out of the two. No question. Tampa. Tampa. No, obviously Tampa, right? <laughs> Tampa does almost everything right when they're figuring out how to manage their pitchers especially. But their whole organization is smart. It's focused. I think Baltimore just finally got their first uh, statistics guy this season. This is something that Tampa has been doing for the last seven or eight years with advanced stats and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And they're so good at it that they're now their guys are their 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 lesser lower guys down the down the pecking order are moving to other teams and taking up very senior positions. This is a uh, anytime you look at a company that's exporting its talent successfully, you have to you have to understand that the company that's providing the talent is doing a lot of things right. And so of the two, I'd be way more worried about Trey Mancini because he's coming out of a, a, an organizational setup that I don't trust versus Blake Snell. We were told originally it was a minor sort of thing. He dropped something on his foot or something while he was moving. It was not a serious injury. Um, I know lots of people who've had toe, broken toes. It isn't that big of a thing. But more than anything else, I trust Tampa Bay to make the right decision most of the time. And for that reason, I would say... Uh, I'll trust Blake Snell before I'll trust Trey Mancini, which is not an indictment of Mancini. It's just of the two, relatively speaking, I like Blake Snell's chances a lot better. Yeah. So let me answer this before Ruvain, because Ruvain's the injury expert here. Um, I really don't know about Mancini, but my guess on Snell is he probably was not ready to come back. But um, he's Blake Snell. Um, a, a 50% Blake Snell might be even better than the output of whoever they would throw in uh, 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 instead of Blake Snell. So, you know, they thought that they probably could get some use out of Snell. They, you know, obviously he didn't produce the results that they wanted. Um, he probably is not 100%, but he's not going to make more damage by pitching a little bit earlier than he should have. And that's what happened. I don't worry about Snell going forward, but I think it's possible that you might see another bad outing as well. If it's a good start, if it's against a poor team, maybe I'll start him. If it's a better team, I actually might consider sitting Snell. Mancini, I'm really not sure about. Um, you know, he seemed like a streaky guy. I, I might take him out of my lineup until he gets hot again. Move in. Well, Mancini had a finger issue. Um, he got hit by a pitch. He seems to be okay. I'm not worried about it. As long as there's no fracture, I'm not worried about it. And he will he will come back. Whether he's going to come back to the same level he was doing before, that's to, that's to, we'll have to wait another week or so and see whether that takes place. But Blake Snell, he's pitched two games since he came back. He hasn't gone more than three and a third innings, and he's given up a total of 10 runs so far. So I think the results speak for themselves at this point. I think he came back too soon. Um, I think the issue is that he, when you have a broken foot, you have a break in any of the, any of the toes in the foot, the pitcher pushes off with his feet. If he pushes off and he's not getting the same push off that he normally does, his mechanics can get thrown out of whack. And this can actually affect him long term if if this is actual an issue, if he's still having pain when he pushes off. Now, we don't know that. No one's really asking him that. And I think he would shy away from that question as well. But 
I'd be a little bit concerned for the next at least three or four starts for him because it usually takes about six weeks for any type of fracture to heal. He was only out for about two to three weeks, which was extremely short period of time. So I think he came back a little bit early. My other question to you, uh, Patrick, is did you actually stick a pin in a uh, bobblehead of Trey Mancini so, because he's on Ruvain's roster? Uh, well, <laughs> no, not really, of course. You know, <laughs> th- th- this is kind of a philosophical thing, but I would I would way rather lose a league than have a, a, than win a league because somebody got hurt. I would never wish that right. on anybody. Sure. It's just bad karma, I think, uh, right. at some point, you know, that uh, to, to – to, to think about things that way. But I'd like to get back to Blake Snell. The idea of the push-off foot, he's a left-hander, right? But it was his right foot that got hurt. So it's his landing foot that was affected, not his pushing off foot. I don't know whether the the bio, biomechanical forces are the, are the equal, but it seems to me that the push-off foot would be absorbing more strain than uh, than the landing foot, but but if uh, but if, if he's but if, but that's the whole thing. If he's pushing off and he's landing on that foot and he's having pain when he lands on it, he's going to alter his mechanics so he doesn't have pain when he lands on the foot. And I don't know how how bad that would be. You know, can you not tape it up or put the padding underneath it or something like that? You can, but it still takes six weeks for it to fully heal. And you know what? It might be a situation where the Rays are, again, they're pretty smart people. They talk with their doctors. They talk with the trainers. They talk with Blake Snell himself. And maybe they say, look, we expect that you're only going to throw, you know, three innings the first couple of times out, five innings the next couple. And eventually we'd rather have you work your way back up than sit out for six weeks, pile up a bunch of rust and then come back and you're still ineffective for your first three or four starts we'd rather if you're going to be ineffective be ineffective now with a sore foot and we'll come back and get you you know in in five starts and by five starts from now you'll be you'll be great again and we'll be off to the races it's a long season and maybe they're just looking ahead and the question they have too like we have as fantasy owners is if they don't start blake snell the last two starts against kansas city who did they start instead you know do they are they any better off as as uh, ariel said yep 50 percent of Blake Snell's may be better than 100 percent of uh, of, uh, you know, one of these openers or whatever the plan was to go if uh, Snell couldn't. Well, Tampa Tampa did invent, quote unquote, the opener. So, I mean, you can probably you could probably find someone to start. I mean, Stan could start every day if they want. (laughs) Right. Nearly. Um, But then sooner or later, somebody else has to go in there and it's for the they call him the bulk innings guy. Correct. And and so Stanek goes out. Let's suppose Stanek goes out and and has like one three up, three down inning after another. That sooner or later, he has to hand the ball off to the guy who's like the ninth best pitcher on the staff. Right. Yeah. Now, I'm not Blake Snell, but I actually pitch in softball and I I hurt my ankle a a couple of weeks ago and uh, it was my landing foot. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hadn't walked more than one batter a game and suddenly in the first inning I walked five. So, you know, it, it might be something just mentally. You never know. I know you absolutely killed my fantasy softball team last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should have taken me out of the lineup. All right, on to some. I did. Interesting... <laughs> Thank you. You did. A great faith in, that you have in me. Well, um, I didn't. I didn't even draft you, so forget that. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Thanks, Ruvain. Well, I, I sniped him off Ruvain. Uh, he was, he was going to pick him in that round, and I, I said, no, Ariel's going to be on my roster. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, injury update. Uh, I'll give it to you, Ruvain, but uh, just wanted you to include uh, from B. Freeze. Uh, he had an injury question on Twitter. Uh, he wants an update on Austin Meadows. So if you can take care of him and your other injury updates, please. 
Okay, so Austin Meadows, he had a thumb injury. He had no tear in the thumb. Um, it happened about a week and a half ago. Um, he's he's due to be back if all goes well and there are no setbacks. He should be back by mid-May. So about two weeks or so, hopefully he'll be back. Um, Trey Turner actually started swinging a bat, or he's supposed to start swinging a bat this week. Um, he's still due to return like mid, like around mid-June or so. The question will be what the Nationals going to do with Carter Kaiboom. Um it's a very good, very good chance they'll send him down because they did that to Trey Turner a couple of years ago when they only right. brought him for a little bit and then they sent him right back down and didn't bring him back until the end of the year. Um, AJ Pollock has an infection in his bursa of the right elbow. Now he had surgery. First of all, he fractured the elbow in 2010 and then he broke it again in 2016 before opening day. He had some hardware in there and whenever someone has hardware in a joint, there's always a possibility of bacteria and infection. So he's going to have the plate removed. Usually recovery time from that type of surgery is three to four weeks, but then he has to build up strength and everything. So he may be out for up, even six upwards to eight weeks, in my opinion. Um, Dan, uh, David Robertson, uh, Patrick, he's on your team. He has yeah. still not yet been cleared to throw. He still has that right flexor strain, and it's a good, it's a very good chance that he may miss for maybe out for an extended period of time. I know we have me and RL have him on one of our leagues. We already dropped him. Um, Ronald Guzman, he's scheduled to start rehab this weekend uh, for his hamstring, so he'll be back probably next, sometime next week. Christian Yelich, his low back has been bothering him since he played a couple games over the weekend with the Mets. Um, he missed the last four games. They said he'll be back this weekend. That remains to be seen. Um, Anthony Rondon was finally put on IL um, the other day. Um, he actually played once in the last 10 games, and they would have put him on the um, IL sooner. He would have been back sooner. Right now, the soonest available time he can come back would be May 11th. Um, there's a good chance that he'll sit out a little bit longer than that because it, it's just not responding. And the MRI only showed a bone bruise, which is why I think someone like uh, Howie Kendrick, who's available in most leagues, is very good to be picked up. Um, and he'll get a lot more playing time as well. One more is Corey Kluber. He got hit in the arm with that, that line drive. He has a forearm fracture. They haven't said exactly how long he's going to be out for. But if it's a forearm fracture, he's going to be in a cast for at least three to four, even five weeks, which means that he's going to have muscle atrophy in the arm. That's not if, he, and that's not even counting if he has surgery. So his his comeback will be in about two months. That's what I think. Oh, feel bad for for Kluber. Um, all right, well, I feel bad it. for me. <laughs> I got Corey Kluber in uh, in, a, in a league where I'm really struggling. Anyway, was it his pitching forearm? Um, it was his pitching forearm. Yes, uh, all the worst. Because, because after the play, he tried to throw the first using his glove hand, and that didn't really work out. Man. I didn't see it, and it sounds like I should be glad I didn't. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, that'll bring us to the end of this show. Um, Patrick, I want to thank you so much for, for being a part of the show. And why don't you tell the listeners where they can reach you and uh, hear some of your stuff and read you? All right. Well, I write regularly at BaseballHQ.com. Uh, it's a paywall site, so you have to ante up if you want to get some of it. But uh, every week I do a column called Master Notes which is uh, commentary on baseball and fantasy baseball. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's a little more lighthearted. And uh, that's available for free at the BaseballHQ.com site. Uh, if you land there and you don't sign in as a member, then uh, there are certain articles that appear free. My article is free every week and worth every penny, may I say. Um, ah. <laughs> there's also yes. a BaseballHQ.com e-newsletter. Again, on that landing page for non-members, you can sign up for the newsletter and they'll send you a bunch of stuff that the site has. Uh, of course, they're trying to get you interested enough to pay up the 99 bucks or whatever it is. W well worth it, in my humble opinion. 
And then, of course, uh, Baseball HQ Radio, we have a podcast that lands every Friday. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be having Jason Collette from Rotowire will be our feature guest, a really interesting guy, a very good analyst, especially of pitching, and uh, always a fun guy to talk to, uh, uh, Jason Collette. And uh, we're talking about maybe making two podcasts a week instead of one. We're going to maybe split up the expert session with the uh, – full session which includes american league and national league player news we have a frequent flyer we call which is kind of a sleeper uh, guest we've got weekend pitcher matchups to come on uh, i talk with todd zola every week you guys know todd zola sure. so it's a it's a pretty full podcast it usually runs a better part of two hours so if you've got a big lawn to mow or a long commute to, nothing could be better thanks very much guys uh, boy oh boy this was a lot of fun it was uh, i knew it was going to be fun but i had no idea it was going to be this much fun i'm really grateful Oh, you're very welcome. And I got to tell you, Patrick, uh, the, the Baseball HQ Radio Show is fantastic. And um, I, I was so honored when you asked me to come on the show earlier this year. I wanted to thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, believe me, when I, when I get great guests, it's me who should be thanking them. And uh, I uh, people ask me, you know, what do you think is the best thing about Baseball HQ Radio as a show? And I and I tell them like my contribution is i prepare really heavily i i'm very into preparation and letting everybody know what's going on i think the show sounds pretty good because i used to be in the radio business so i know what i'm doing around a mixing board but my real strength is i know lots of people in the industry i have good relationships with lots of people in the industry and uh, including ariel uh, we spoke at a for probably 80 or 90 minutes uh, yeah. in New York during Telt Wars, and it was fascinating. And I don't think baseball even came up, oddly yeah. enough. It's yeah. all these other things. So uh, I like to find good guests and get them on and let them show my listeners just how smart they are, just how capable they are. And certainly you did every bit of that, but uh, all my guests are terrific. And uh, Baseball HQ Radio is available on iTunes and Stitcher and Pocket Cast and most of those other aggregators. Or you can get it directly, uh, a direct download at BaseballHQ.com. Amazing. Uh, Ruvain, why don't you uh, tell the listeners about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at MLB Injury Guru, where I update almost daily on a daily basis the injuries and, and how long they're going to be out for and who's going to be taking their place and everything like that. And I also, every Thursday or Friday, I tweet out the two-star pitchers, the rankings, and I'm going to actually have them come out tomorrow morning. And if anyone has any questions, they can always, I'm always answering questions, so keep them coming. And I'm Ariel Cohen. You can read my work over at Fangraphs, at CBS Sports, and at Sportsline. You can see the ATC projections, which are up on Fangraphs as well. And, of course, you can listen to me right here. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational Podcast, Beat the Shift Edition. want to wish everyone a great fantasy season. Take a bow, finish on top. I'ma set the standard. Don't believe me? You could check the standings. When I draft, I'll make smart selections. Got more sleepers than a narcoleptic. Meet your match, kid. My lineup's nasty. It's far fetched thinking you might catch me. No surprise, I'm taking home the prize. Only time I rest is a playoff buy. Make amazing finds off the waiver wire all day and night. Better stay retired. See me in first, all proud and cozy. Bro, please, I can't even count my trophies. Bragging, even with my bats. Slumping, I'ma pack a punch, that tracker junkie. One little wanna play, first place in my league. Got a block